Welcome back to another episode of Talk Commerce, where we discuss the latest and greatest in the world of e-commerce. My name is Gretchen, and joining me today is our host, Brent Peterson. Brent, how are you doing today? I'm doing super duper, Gretchen. I'm really excited about today's guest. We have James Bloomfield from Moda Match, an incredible company revolutionizing the apparel industry with cutting-edge technology. They're based in Montreal and are tackling some of the industry's most significant challenges. Absolutely, Brent. Moda Match is a game-changer when it comes to addressing the notorious rate-of-return issue, and they're also boosting conversions and customer satisfaction with their immersive virtual fitting room. Indeed, in today's episode, James will share insights on how businesses can harness the power of Moda Match's game-changing features for optimal results. I'm sure our listeners will be eager to learn about the future of apparel technology. Absolutely, Brent. So without further ado, let's welcome James Bloomfield of Moda Match to the show. We're thrilled to have James here and can't wait to dive into the world of apparel technology. But first, let's hear from our sponsors, Hoofa Themes and Content Basis. Have you heard of the Hoofa theme for Magento? It is a powerful yet intuitive theme that has been designed to help Magento store owners create the perfect online store. With the Hoofa theme, you can create a store that is unique and engaging while taking advantage of the latest technology that will make your site blazing fast. The theme is built with a modern, responsive design that is optimized for maximum performance and usability. You can easily achieve Google Lighthouse scores of 10. It is also fully customizable, allowing you to adjust its look and feel to fit your brand. Overall, the Hoofa theme is the best choice for any Magento site. It is easy to set up and customize, and it provides powerful features to help you create a successful online store. Plus, it is designed to work seamlessly with your existing Magento store, so you can take advantage of its powerful features and tools. With the Hoofa theme, you can create a beautiful, engaging, and successful Magento site. Go to hyva.io to learn more. That's hyva.io, and tell them that Talk Commerce sent you. Are you interested in AI content generation, but you don't know where to start? Have you tried ChatGPT and found it doesn't work, or you don't even know what to do with the results? Have you had problems starting your marketing campaign or started and lost momentum? When was the last time you have a blog post live on your website? My friends at Content Basis have a fantastic offer for you. They use predictive analytics to find content opportunities that will perform on your website. They leverage those opportunities using machine learning and humans to create content that outperforms any other content you've seen before. They don't stop there. They have two human editors reviewing your content before it goes live. Once your content is live, they create 10 social posts on each of those content pages that was just launched. Finally, they work with you to see how those posts are performing and what they can do to add, change, or update the posts in the future. Content Basis is putting the human into your content marketing and your content automation. But don't take my word for it. Look at what Content Basis has been doing for Talk Commerce for the last four months. 
ContentBasis is currently accepting beta candidates for WordPress, BigCommerce, and Shopify. Go to contentbasis.io. That's contentbasis.io. And learn how you can create marketing strategies that work into the future. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, talk commerce. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have James Bloomfield. James is the CEO and co-founder of Moda Match. James, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us your day-to-day role and maybe one of your passions in life. Thank you very much, Brent. It's great to be on today, and I've been looking forward to this for some time. And yep, I am the founder and co-founder and CEO of Motomatch, which is a fashion technology company. We utilize highly advanced AI technologies in order to deliver cutting edge solutions to the fashion apparel space. In terms of my daily activities as a startup CEO and co-founder, you wear a lot of hats and you have a lot of responsibilities. And uh, it's been quite the journey taking us from an unknown startup with my partners and getting us to the position we are today, which is very exciting, working with a number of large corporate retail partners as well as SMEs and just trying our best to bring a new element of technology, functionality, optimization, interactivity to the apparel space in addition to trying to speak to some of the problems that we have seen that are inherent to the space that might not be as always principally business related, ideas like sustainability, increasing the diversity, inclusivity, and representation within the space, these kinds of values that we truly believe in as a company, but are really needed to be addressed within the space at large. That's awesome. I know that in our green room, you agreed that you agreed to participate in the free joke project. So before we get into into the content, we're gonna I'm just gonna tell you a joke, and you can tell me if that joke should remain free or if we could charge for it. So here we go. What do you call a pair of shoes with uplifting quotes written all over them? Motivational sneakers. I that definitely deserves to be free. I would say a strong definite deserves to be free. (laughs) Excellent. Good. All right. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for that. All right. So let's tell us a little bit about Moda Match and tell us soul of why you started it and a little bit of background on it. Sure. Moda Match was founded a bit over four years ago. And we were initially founded within Tel Aviv, Israel, which is well known, as you may know, as a tech hub and a real startup hotspot. And we really were dedicated to the project. I personally came at it from a background in fashion apparel. I used to work at a fashion startup here in Canada where I'm talking to you from and where I'm born and raised. And it was during my time at this fashion startup that I began to see the kinds of problems that are so widely felt throughout the space in terms of outdated technology, in terms of outmoded practices, in terms of highly established sense of conventional thinking amongst decision makers throughout the space. And everybody within apparel has made significant money for a long time doing things in a very specific way. And why change? And in addition to all of that is the idea that fashion as it stands is a very fractured, very, you could call it disorganized industry. 
And a great example of that is the idea that there's no such thing as an international sizing guide, which is why a medium T-shirt is can be so different from whether it's in Canada, the United States, or in Asia, or in India, or in Europe. It's so vastly different, and it causes an enormous number of problems, not only in terms of business, but in terms of returns and the ubiquity of free returns has made it enormously costly in terms of dollars and cents. But these ideas of returns are also, and again, going back to some of the values that we have, extraordinarily damaging to the environment. But in any case, I'm getting a little bit off base. We, the fashion startup I was working for in Montreal, Canada, was successfully we had a successful exit within about the first 18 months, and we were very pleased about that. And it was at that time that I got my feet wet, as they would say, within the fashion space. I learned a lot and was became very aware of the pain points within the space. And, and it was the idea of trying to introduce new technology to the fashion industry was in the back of my mind for some time, really going about my regular business, but constantly thinking about the best way to go about it, what would work best for people, what's going to be impactful for a shopper, but also be seamless and convenient and functional for a retailer, trying to marry those two ideas. And it really boiled down to a question of technology. The technology didn't exist to take into account the variables at play and have them work cohesively to deliver a solution that would work for anybody in a scalable, seamless, convenient manner. And a number of years later, I found myself in Tel Aviv, Israel, which again, very well known for its tech, for its startup space with a big emphasis on AI. And long story short, I came into contact with my now two partners and we were able to leverage some highly advanced AI technology worked on by our supremely talented engineering team in order to take into account those variables and really deliver a solution that would be functional and would be convenient and would be hold value for both shoppers and for retailers. And so at that point, we wanted to continue raising money for our solution, which was what we had developed was a virtual fitting room a plug-in white label solution that would allow shoppers to upload an image of themselves or choose from a range of models and dress them hyper accurately with their clothing selections. By having a very strong emphasis on realism, on fit and on aesthetic, we were able to address with our virtual fitting room a number of the drivers of returns, which represent one of the biggest pain points within the industry. And we wanted to, we were so happy with the work that we had done and we were so pleased with our solution. We wanted to continue fundraising and increasing the functionality and optimizing. But unfortunately, we found ourselves in an odd space of having an amazing piece of technology and an amazing solution, but trying to introduce it into a space that has tried to get this kind of thing done for some time. The introduction of new technology into fashion apparel is not a new concept. It's been actively attempted for the better part of 25 years, but never successfully implemented or executed. And we were so pleased with the work we had done and the reactions we were getting were enormously positive, but they always ended, every pitch would end with, this is really great, but we want you to work with X number of clients, be around for X amount of period of time, prove that you're a company of substance, prove that you can make this work, bring in more data, more case studies, more everything, really. And so at that point, we, we realized that we had to come to market. We had to continue to get the kind of validation we needed from brands and from retailers. And it was at that point that we decided to move the company from Tel Aviv, Israel to Montreal, Canada, where we are currently based.
and come to market here. We were had to deal with the pandemic, which was not convenient, <laughs> although in reality, it hyper accelerated the space because it precluded the ability to go shop for clothes in brick and mortar locations. So apparently commerce was hyper accelerated. But again, we dealt with a tremendous amount of skepticism of trepidation. And I understood where it was coming from, but you still you need to look for that big break. And so we would we were really hitting the pavement. We were talking to everybody, taking any meeting that they would speak with us, really doing everything that you need to as a startup, really grinding for it. And we're able to find a, a digital first retailer here in Montreal who had an absolutely fantastic founder, a young influencer who have, has an amazing fashion sense and she wanted to bring her sense of fashion to her community and she was very digitally minded and very digital first and was thrilled about the opportunity to implement new technology and we were able to launch we had really strong response not only from users but from retailers that we were showing it to and things that was our big break and things really began to pick up from there and as we uh, we continue to grow and work with larger and larger clients, at this point, we are now, the solution is a plug-in white application that's available on a number of e-commerce platforms, such as Shopify. And we really do facilitate a new experience for shoppers on a, in their e-commerce experience, allowing them to see how clothes will look, how they'll fit, mix and match, and really interact with their shopping experience in a new way that is accurate, that is fun, that is experiential, that is interactive. And the response has been enormously positive. So positive, in fact, that we were approached by another company in our space with not a competing solution, but a complementary one. And we decided to, in fact, join forces and we are, we have merged together and have allowed us to position the company as it stands today, which is a fashion technology company with several solutions existing within our suite of services, which allow us to be enormously flexible when we speak to brands and retailers, as well as be able to speak to much more of the wants and needs of shoppers. The second solution being one focused on the production of digital models who are photorealistic. The main thrust of it being the elimination of photo shoots, where you know, as long as there's been cameras and as long as there's been fashion, there have been fashion photo shoots. And so it's considered to be a sunk cost. But the fact is, photo shoots are enormously costly, enormously time consuming, enormously laborsome, especially for brands who potentially will do multiple photo shoots in a year or maybe even multiple photo shoots in a season. And so by having these digitally photorealistic models that we can completely customize, we can produce at a much faster and more cost-effective rate really allows us to provide a tremendous amount of value to these brands, as well as to users. We, in a time of growing personalization and the need for that by shoppers, the only way as a fashion company you could really speak to all of your users would be to have essentially a model of every single person in the world that's to really get that sense of personal real personalization but of course that's not reasonable and so the only the way that we can actually provide that is through the use of these kinds of digital models and they also allow us to facilitate a much greater sense of inclusivity and representation and diversity within a fashion brand's array of models that they make available yeah, I'd like to key in on the on that diversity. I know that in in your intro you you mentioned diversity, sustainability. You also mentioned optimization. I'd like to get into that. But let's talk specifically about diversity. I can share my experience that on this podcast itself, I did get a little lazy and I just depended on people sending sending me guests, and all I got was white males at some point. 
So in this, in my space, in the, in, in the tech space in general, I think there's not a lot of diversity and you really have to make, you have to make everybody aware of diversity. So just speak to the diverse part of it, why that's important in, especially in the fashion. Let me just be, uh, I'm going to ask you, are you asking about diversity within the tech space? Or are you asking about diversity within the fashion space? Because they're both things that need to be addressed, but they're very, two different conversations. Yeah, I think for you, for the fashion space, and I think the answer is probably obvious because everybody's different and everybody wears clothes for the most part, mm-hmm. unless you're in a clothing optional part of, of the world or in a hippie commune. But in the tech space, I think that's, yeah, you're right, that is a whole nother conversation that's a challenge in in, in itself. But let's talk about, mm-hmm. let's talk about the fashion space and why diversity is, why you feel diversity is important and what you're doing. The lack Fashion as it stands has a problem with exclusivity. And by that, I really, they speak to, they have a certain idea of what's beautiful and what size is beautiful, what look is beautiful. And everybody who doesn't fit that mold is on the outs, on the, on the outside looking in. And uh, whether that's about your, your gender or your body type or your ethnicity or speaking of plus size women or petites for men as well. And it makes it so difficult to have fashion feel like it speaks to you and to make you feel included. And I'll tell a very brief anecdote, which really highlights a very important and impactful moment for me during my time at the company. A number of years ago, when we were first coming to market and developing the platform, we were doing numbers of focus groups, having people try the application, just talking to as many people as we could, having as many people as possible to try it and just tell us their thoughts. And I was with a number of people doing a pilot test of the application. And when the test was over, I had a young plus-size woman come up to me and tell me a story about an experience that she had recently had going out and looking for clothes, a similar experience that anybody who's listening to this is familiar with, where you walk into a store and you browse and you find something that you like, and maybe you try it on, or maybe you look for something that's more in your size. And she went through all the normal paces. She found something she liked and called over a sales assistant to, to and asked about its size range and whether or not they could have it potentially in her size. And the response she received was not only did the brand not carry her size in store, the brand didn't make that size period to which there's a moment of pause where it's okay, where does this conversation go? Essentially come get out of here because we can't sell to you. And she went home and essentially went straight to her bedroom and started to cry and cry with these feelings of, embarrassment and shame and forcing these this discomfort within herself of her personal confidence and in, in her body her and how she looked and as she was telling me this story she was close to tears and at that point i found myself also close to tears because it was an experience that i had never dealt with myself personally and it was something that i just it, i just every once in a while when you see something it seems like it's so obvious but your eyes really but you somehow have not clocked it previously. And this was a number of years ago. And I don't know who, what her name is. I never saw her again after that. But her story was enormously impactful on me to this day. 
And in fact, I often think about her when I make decisions about the company. My, and in the back of my mind, do I say, how do I make life easier for her? How do I make sure that she never has to deal with this kind of problem ever again? Because she shouldn't, not her, not anybody should ever be made to feel that way. And fashion is so personal and it, it plays such a significant part in so many different people's lives. And the fact that it's so not inclusive so my thinking, as I said, I often think of her and when I make decisions, because if I can make it, if we can make a difference for her, then I know we can make a difference for a lot of people. And this idea of, especially when it comes to measurements and body types, is the lack of diversity within the space is something that desperately needs to be addressed. I think that it slowly is, but by no means is it moving fast enough for my taste. And we're doing everything that we can to make sure that that kind of thing is an experience of the past. Yeah, I can share one more experience on measurements. I travel to India once a year, typically, and in my travels, I always try to do a running race. My first time I did the Mumbai Marathon, I asked, is this size medium or size large? Is that a U.S. size large or an Indian size large? Or how does that work? And they said, it's a U.S. company, so it's probably a U.S. size. And so I got the large, and sure enough, it's a small or a medium. So I totally get it. And, and in that space, in just simply in, this, in that little vertical of runners, you don't want to wear a small shirt because it's never going to fit you or it's not going to be comfortable. So I'd imagine, like, in general when you're wearing it, and for comfort or just clothing as fashion, that sizing across the world is so important. You mentioned then also sustainability. Talk a little bit about how sustainability is important it's a topic that i think a lot of people finally are starting to take much more seriously and be much more aware of and fashion space in particular has a problem with sustainability they say that the industry at large contributes anywhere upwards of 10 percent of global carbon emissions which is more than all maritime shipping and airfare combined which is simply outrageous and that's just talking about carbon emissions that doesn't even take into account other damages like the production of wastewater through the creation of denim which is it's shocking really the amount of environmental damage that is produced by those practices and not only that but a lot of the attempts by the space to address it in the recent years have amounted to what they call greenwashing which is to make a relatively superficial attempt to become a more sustainable brand but it's really more of a marketing ploy than anything it's surface level only and they'll say we source our some of our fabrics from we'll get our fabric from renewable sources and when you do and that sounds great but when you do a little bit of a deeper dive you realize that yeah maybe five or ten percent of that fabric is coming from a renewable source but the rest of it is still being produced in, in a terribly damaging way and the fact of the matter is when it comes to returns especially the fact that there's no such thing as standardized sizing means that there's very little consumer confidence in what they purchase which has given rise to its own kind of phenomenon that has been born on the back of the ubiquity of free returns which is called bracket shopping or bracketing which anybody who's listening to this probably has personal experience with, which is the act of going online and ordering multiple items, sometimes the same item in different colors and different sizes, and ordering 10, 20, 30, 40 items. And when they receive them, they go to their bedroom and they try them on and they see what looks good and they see what fits, and they'll return everything else. Most, if not all, of the items get returned. 
And why shouldn't they? If they don't fit, if they don't look right, and you have a free return, then why wouldn't she return it? So the process of sending that to and fro on the part of a brand or a retailer is a huge contributor to those carbon emissions when you talk about shipping and handling. By the time it gets back to the brand, oftentimes it's not cost-effective to reshelf. And so it gets pushed downstream, whether it be into a, a potentially a discount barrel in a Walmart. But by and large, those items will end up either in an incinerator or in a landfill. And with the rise of synthetic fibers, that item in that landfill, it might be out of sight, out of mind. But the fact is, it's there and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Sustainability is something that is should be personal to all of us. We've only got one planet, and so it's up to all of us to be cognizant of what we're doing with it. And so if we can address some of these problems through new technology, then that will allow us to not only deliver value to businesses and to shoppers, but help make what is a very damaging environment, environmentally damaging space better, cleaner, more sustainable, more environmentally conscious. And that's something that really needs to happen sooner rather than later. And it's something that is very close to us at Modematch. I want to just, I want to put a statistic by you or a workflow and a shipping workflow by you and just comment on it. We had a, we have a, had a client in Mexico who was a fashion brand and they told us that most of the cotton is actually produced in the U.S., and then it's shipped to Vietnam or, or Asia to get made into string. And that mm-hmm. string is shipped to say, or it's processed. Then it goes to Malaysia to do something else, maybe made, make into some fabric. Then it's shipped back to Mexico to get made into clothing. And then it's mm-hmm. shipped to the U.S. to actually get sold on the racks. Mm-hmm. Seems like a crazy amount of, of movement of a of a commodity, mm-hmm. especially when it starts here. And then it goes around the world and comes back to the North America. And I should yeah, it, does, it does one full lap around the yeah, planet. Yeah. So, <laughs> number one is that is that a pre, is that a pretty common case, especially as you get into big retailers or big manufacturers uh, of clothing? It's not uncommon. It's definitely not uncommon. But there again, this boils back to the fractured nature of global fashion industry in terms of their practices. More and more, are we seeing small to medium-sized brands try to nearshore their production to avoid some of these exact problems that you've outlined, which were really starkly highlighted during the pandemic when shipping and handling was so uncertain and items were coming from the Far East. And with, for instance, through China with their zero COVID lockdown policies, it became very difficult to do business in a clear and profitable manner. And there, I think that's readily apparent now to, to a lot of the industry, and there has been a greater push to nearshore a lot of these practices. But it's still, for bigger brands, they and they're producing tens of thousands of SKUs. They look at their bottom line, and they see where they can get it done in the most cost-effective manner, and that's the way the cookie crumbles, essentially. I want to draw a parallel then to your solution and sustainability and, say, sizing. And then I want to point, I want to point out a outlier, not an outlier, but a business model like the box model, Stitch Fix or whatever they're called, where they're actually putting you, giving you a whole bunch of stuff, and then they're encouraging you to return it. Don't like it. A, can you just maybe quickly address that that boxed model, that what is a subscription-based fashion model, and then mm-hmm. maybe go right into how your solution helps that helps with the sustainability part. Sure. Stitch Fix is a fantastic company, and I've always been very taken with them, and I think it's a great idea, and I think that the idea of helping people 
find their fashion sense, find items that they know fit their sense of style, fit the kind of look that they're going for. I think that all that is fantastic, especially for those of us who are maybe not the most active shoppers. It's almost like you're having a personal stylist do it for yourself. So I think that's a fantastic idea. Saying all of that, there are any number of companies that are doing really good work in terms of trying to make this base more sustainable, but a tremendous amount of that effort is focused on shipping materials, for instance. So I was speaking with an associate recently and they're using cardboard, but it's all recycled and it comes from, it's all renewable and it's a fantastic idea and it was great work that they were doing and I was so impressed with it. Um, but at the fact of the matter is that is trying to address a problem that is that has already happened. The horses have left the barn and we're trying to corral them. What we are trying to do at Motomatch is really address the problem at its source. If we can stop that return from happening right from the get-go by delivering an item that is targeted, that looks the way it's supposed to look, that fits the way it's supposed to fit, and you know, you're happy with it right from the get-go, then we can stop this whole chain of events from happening right to begin with. And although a company like Stitch Fix, I think it's a great idea, it does not do a lot in terms of helping the sustainability of the space because of that shipping to and fro of these boxes. Let's move into technology a little bit. My experience with a lot of with a lot of fashion owners or fashion brands is the larger ones anyways are owned owned by let's just call them older people that are more mature. <laughs> And they don't, or maybe they're nervous about the technology, or they don't have a lot of that need to think about what is happening. And so they prefer to make it just stay the course instead of moving into new places. Maybe you could just mm -hmm. talk about how how Moda is changing some of that, and how are you getting, like you mentioned earlier, the younger brand that you worked with, how do you break through into the older ownership into, into people that aren't necessarily in tune with what's happening? It's a great question, and it's something that we and many other companies, whether they be in startups in the fashion space or in any other space, have to contend with. It's part of the nature of doing startup work, which is proving yourself, proving the viability of your solution, proving the viability of the space, trying to determine and marry these ideas of wants and needs. And so sometimes solutions and ideas speak for themselves. And sometimes you have to work a little harder. It's something that we contend with very often, which is this, and I spoke about it briefly previously, about this kind of skepticism. People have been trying to introduce new technology for a long time now. Nothing successfully worked. And so there is a natural sense of why you, why now, why this tech, why this approach? But in fact, the rest of the space that I work in is, I often call it a little bit like the Wild West, because nobody's certain what that final answer looks like in terms of what technology, what backend, what UX, UI, what front end, what's going to work with all of the relevant players. And so really me and my counterpoints at other technologies companies, we're all trying to get that formula right and really find something that is going to work for everybody and provide that kind of value. But coming back to your question, the way to break through to these older companies, these more established companies, don't feel the same kind of potentially financially driven need to try new things. Why try new things when you're making a lot of money doing things in a certain way and let somebody else try it first? And so that's basically what we've been forced to do, which is work with smaller brands, SMEs, digital, digital first or digital exclusive companies. Who, who don't even have brick and mortar storefront and for whom these kinds of things are enormously useful. 
And so it's really a process for us of just working with as many clients as we can, making sure that each one of our clients is very happy with the work that we're doing and really gain that validation from the space in order to prove to them that we're not just a, a fancy presentation or a fancy new piece of tech that looks impressive but might not actually deliver value in the long term. And it's and funnily enough, as a Canadian, I feel it, it comes very naturally to us to want to move very deliberately fairly cautiously, very thoughtfully, as opposed to a, maybe a more of a Silicon Valley type of thinking, which is move fast and break things. This particular space really does reward those who are willing to move thoughtfully, deliberately, and really build a foundation for the work that we do. And that's how we've gained success with these larger brands. It's been a struggle, definitely been a struggle, but we've always been very big believers in not only our technology, but in the value that we can offer. And once we were able to have the data to, to back that up, then our the job became a little bit easier. Yeah, I would imagine that changing the habits of the user is ultimately the thing that is going to change the thought patterns of the owners because as people start going to places that are more advantageous to the buying experience, then the, somebody's going to have to take notice. So you talk a little bit about just how you help. You, you did talk about measuring. How do you help to optimize that then? What, are you, what is it that you help with in terms of optimization and helping the, the merchant and then also the consumer have a better experience in terms of on that PDP page or wherever the wherever you're presenting this. it's an expansive question uh, if you want to maybe uh, and i don't i know we have a limited time so i don't want to go off on maybe a little bit more of a tangent which i'm very passionate about the space that i work in and very enthusiastic so i have a s slight tendency to to expand quite readily on the talking point if you want to maybe ask that in a little bit more specific way i think i can give you more of a targeted answer <laughs> yeah let's talk let's talk specifically about just optimizing a product page with your solution Sure. Both of our solutions offer a tremendous amount of value of our premium premium solutions offer a tremendous amount of value depending on the needs of the brand or the retailer or the shopper. Just as an example, if a page is looking for a reduction rate of return, greater interactivity, the ability to target bigger customer bases and different, dem de different demographics, the virtual fitting room is something that is shown to have a lot of value because of its ability to show, provide, really give the tools for that to engage in their e-commerce experience in a way that is completely different, that is much more accurate. You can really see how the items will look and how they'll fit. You can choose from a range of models on a variety of body types, going from petite all the way to plus size so that nobody really feels excluded, that you can, and not only feel excluded, but be able to buy for a particular kind of body type. People have different relationships with their bodies in terms of their self-perception. They might be going on a diet. They might have recently gone weight. It's, it fluctuates between each of us and in some cases very rapidly. And so you need to be able to speak to that in a way that is targeted and a way that is, is valuable and functional. And so the virtual fitting room is enormously beneficial in that respect in terms of optimizing that experience. And again, by being able to show people how items look and fit correctly and accurately, which are the two principal drivers of returns, do we really optimize that process? Whereas our digital modeling solution, the focus is much more about eliminating what is a very costly and laborsome step in the process and make this kind of imagery much more readily available, much more customizable. If you think about something like the availability of models, people often will look at a, it's one of those areas that people don't always 
delve more deeply into. And so it's, if you're, a, say, an SME uh, and you want to have a model at a photo shoot, you think about the costs that go into that, whether it's when you take into account a location and equipment and professionals, whether they be stylists or photographers or lighters or people who work in post-production editing those images so that they to be able to produce these kinds of prototypical airbrush, Photoshop, Perfect 10 model that you'll see on a billboard, which is great, but that person shares a body type with one other person on the planet. So it might do a lot for making a brand look cool and fashionable, but it does nothing for the, the regular shopper. And so by being able to utilize these digital models which allow us to produce this imagery photorealistically very quickly very cost effectively very customizable we really can be helpful not only to bigger brands but you've seen a tremendous amount of interest from these small to medium-sized enterprises who would not be able to typically afford the costs associated with a photo shoot be able to use the kinds of models that they want to use be able to have the kinds of images that they want to use whether they're studio or lifestyle shots and so it's again providing a tremendous amount of value to them. One of my, one of the things that I enjoy the most about my work is working with up and coming brands or designers who are so fantastically talented and are held back by limited budgets and by limited opportunity. And so if we can help facilitate this very important element of fashion, which is to be able to see modeling is an important part of fashion. And if we can help them do that in a way that speaks to them and their vision, then that's something that is it's really great for me and a very satisfying element of my work. I'd like to finish out our conversation today around AI and machine learning. I think the there has been a perception of machine learning where people that don't understand it are afraid of it. How do you mm. help to introduce that idea and and make people comfortable with what it is. It's a good question, and I think we're helped in part by the growing introduction of AI, machine learning-driven technologies and solutions into the, the economy at large. More and more companies are coming to market with these kinds of solutions, so I think that in general, we're starting to become more comfortable with it. It's, a, it's an unknown. It's a definite unknown, and so I often try to think about the different ways that this is going to play out and where it's going to be helpful and where it might be less than helpful, maybe even potentially harmful when you talk about job losses and things of that nature. To make people feel comfortable, I think it's more of a question of just delivering value consistently and really having that evidence in front of you. Picture, the, while they would say a picture is worth a thousand words, I would argue that a data spreadsheet, if a picture is worth a thousand, then that spreadsheet's worth 10,000 words. The, we're, it's a, it can be a very cutthroat business and they want, they're focusing on their bottom lines. And if we can just show that value in a consistent, reliable way, then that does a lot of the talking for us. I can share a little bit of my experience around it, and I'm super fascinated with machine learning, and I've been using a lot of Dolly. And I've started I've started making portraits of famous artists holding Jack Russell Terriers. Recently, I know, crazy, right? Recently, I did a portrait of by Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci holding a Jack Russell, and I posted it on Instagram. And somebody commented that, that they didn't think Jack, the breed hadn't been invented or discovered or whatever developed when Da Vinci was around. And I pointed out this is a joke and it's a representation of a portrait. <laughs> so, I, I, but the, the idea there is that 
it is good enough to, I don't want to say fake it, because it's easier to make a representation of a famous artist, especially when it's digital, you can't touch it and see it. You're looking at it on your computer screen. But the flip side is that it, it looks convincing enough that it looks like an artist's portrait of a Madonna holding a Jack Russell Terrier from whatever, the 1500s. I feel like it's super exciting and it's going in places that it's only going to get more exciting as we grow with it. Um and I think what we've talked about today, and especially your solution, helps us to... The diversity part, I think, is one of the, one of the most important, and I, we didn't really get into that enough, that that there isn't enough represent, representation of other pe- types of people in the industry. And in our green room, I, we, talked about, we talked about technology versus the fashion industry, that there's even less diversity in the technology industry and how important that is. If you have, if you have some bit of nugget that you could tell an e-tailer and what they should be looking at as they move into 20, 2023. What is it that you think that would one thing they could be looking at, especially a fashion e-tailer? Well, a fashion e-tailer, I think the real, um, the real thing that should be considered right now is being hyper aware of what's going on in the space. The One of the most interesting aspects to AI and machine learning is how quickly the technology develops. In many cases, what could be deemed as exponential growth in terms of its functionality and its capabilities. And so for us at Motomat, our technology is heavily based on AI. And so just I'm often taken aback by how quickly our technology is able to advance due to my previous experience working in tech, where it's slow progress and often all these kinds of hindrances and problems. But with AI, it's moving so quickly that it's to the benefit of everyone that retailers make a dedicated effort to have an open mind, to be very aware of what's going on because there's so much value to be had out there in terms of optimization, in terms of increased sustainability, in terms of diversity, in terms of everything, really. There, there is the ability for brands right now to onboard new digital tools, such as those you're offering at Motomatch, and really allow them to take a not a small step forward, but almost a quantum leap forward in terms of what they're able to provide to their shoppers, what they're able to do with their own bottom lines, their back-end processes. It's important that we everybody takes a moment, looks around, takes uh, gets a sense of the landscape, and is willing to try new things. Those who are willing to adopt new technologies, who are willing to grow, who are willing to evolve, are going to be well-positioned to continue to grow and be successful in the future. And those who are business as usual and are unwilling to make those considerations and unwilling to make those attempts to try new things are at one point, probably sooner rather than later, going to be left behind. And so it's, again, it's a fantastic, there's so much amazing stuff happening and so it's important as a brand or retailer to really take a look around know what's going on and connect with as many kinds of technologies as, and solutions as they can not everything is going to work and fit with everyone's vision and some companies unfortunately do not have the kind of staying power that that you could call maybe a flash in the pen over my four years of doing of leaving moda match i've seen many come and go as i previously mentioned it's a little bit like the wild west and so there's these ideas of what's going to work is it going to be hardware is it going to be software where in the supply line and the production chain and should it be implemented and so by for us we want to be able to 
say that we want to be able to service a whole range of needs, and that's why we have been working and offering multiple solutions so that we can really address a range of problems. But I would encourage brands and retailers to, again, be very aware of what's going on in the space, connect and talk with as many of these entrepreneurs as they can, and find a company, find a solution that works well for you, works well for your company, and that you are able to see long-term value in and not some kitschy niche solution that might be cool for one season, but then is a thing of the past just as quickly as as quickly gone, as quickly as it came. James, it's been such a good conversation and you're so articulate. I thank you so much for being here today. As I close out the podcast, I give everybody an opportunity to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like. What would you like to plug today? It would typically, my first instinct would be to plug my business, but I, I, there's a chance that I might have done that already to its fullest extent in this conversation. I think my only plug would be to take in, in this current holiday season is to it's a tough time that we've all been going through with the pandemic and with the changes that have come to our society so it's important to look around at, at our loved ones hold each other close but also to look around and see the world through new eyes realize that the world has changed is changing rapidly and not and that can be for the if only we focus on it if only we make a really dedicated and deliberate effort to take these new technologies to take these changes and use them as a force for good, not only just in terms of business and bottom lines, but these other ideas that are so important that that we touched on in this conversation, like greater inclusivity, not just in fashion, but in, in every space, greater representation, greater diversity, and these this need to really take a hard look at the world and how we operate and how damage how much damage we've done to the world around us and say enough is enough and we can't continue as is and we have to change. There's it's not gonna we don't have as the chances don't won't exist forever. So now is the time. There's no better time than the present, as my mother would say. And it's again just to you know take a breath, look around and realize that, that things are changing and we have to change times are changing and we've got to change with them. James, thank you so much for being here. James Bloomfield, the CEO and co-founder of Motomatch. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Brent, thank you so much for having me. Great pleasure talking with you as well. And I'm, you let me know next time. Uh, and I look forward to the next free or charged joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I should mention too, I'll put all your contact information in the show notes so people know how to get a hold of you and how to find Motomatch. Great. Please do so. And I would encourage anybody to reach out to me. I'm a little bit of a workaholic, so you reach out to me and I will get back to you guaranteed. And at the very least, I'm always happy to have a conversation and connect with people. There's so many amazing, fantastic people who work not only in the tech space that I'm in, but the fashion industry and the apparel industry, these new up-and-comers who have, who are so driven, who are so talented, who are so incredibly intelligent and charming and everything that you could want. And please reach out and I'd love to chat. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Brent. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. Please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the free joke project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.